and welcome to A Nightmare on Fear Street, a monstrous podcast about all things horror. If you like what you hear today, then you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Checking us out at allmylinks.com backslash A Nightmare on Fear Street. You can also find our Patreon info there if you want merch and exclusive content. And today we're covering the summer classic, The Lost Boys. And this is an episode just because you can't have summer without the Lost Boys. And so, hello, summer. <laughs> it's hot girl summer, hot boy summer, hot lost boy summer. I don't care what we call it. I love it. Hot vampire summer. It's listen, listen. <laughs> hot girl eternity. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we get into the general thoughts on this film? Yes. I first off just want to say it's ironic that it is a vampire movie because this is one giant thirst trap. Like this whole cast, this whole cast is just like randomly hot. <laughs> I I want to get that out of the way so I can go back to not failing the Bechdel test. Um, first off, you have both Corys, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, who I had a giant crush on because I was a child in the 90s. You have Jason Patrick, who manages to be hot with a curly mullet. I was here for it. Right? I that a lot. Anybody else, I'd be like, good sir, what's on your head? Jason Patrick's like, hey. And I'm like, hey, hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Hello. Um, Imagine seeing you here. Right? Even Kiefer Sutherland has never looked so hot. Because I, again, as a child of the 90s, Kiefer Sutherland was definitely that age. But then I look back at this, and I'm like, oh, Kiefer. Oh. <laughs> I, I Also, Kiefer's lieutenant, who I don't even know if he had a name. He was the one with the dark hair who was always next to him. Mm-hmm. And I believe they were a couple, but we don't talk about that because we never room for that in this movie. <laughs> we gonna get into some of that in a little while, but yes, <laughs> we need to talk. We need to also talk about how um, Kiefer and Jason's characters were interacting, but that's a later note because I was like, "Do y'all want a room in a different movie?" Because I feel something's happening here. Also, Jamie Kurtz, like she, I've never seen her look so gorgeous. Like vampire realness. That hair. Mm. <laughs> And of course, our half-naked saxophone guy who's just there oily with the saxophone in his pants singing a song people are trying to dance to and you can't dance to it. But he believes in the song and he's hot. So we're like, yeah, you little side wrestler, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And speaking of that man, because he's part of one of my notes, this movie is like a perfect time capsule of late 1980s. Like the costumes, the hair, the makeup, the soundtrack. Just hit energy. This energy screams late eighties. And then, then I, as I was making this note, that scene came up with him, and I was like, "This lead singer at this beach concert is also playing the saxophone. Is also a saxophone player. Like, it's about the hustle in the eighties. It's about the it's hustle. Like some Kenny G shit. Okay. He was just there in his Vaseline realness with a song in his heart, and people were like, "We can dance to whatever this is." And I was like, "Can we though? Can we?" <laughs> Yes, but again, this soundtrack, classic, iconic, love it. This soundtrack made me think I like The Doors, but I just like People Are Strange. Because I was like, oh my God, yes, The Doors. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, okay. Uh, uh, Let's get to the Lost Boy song again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, the soundtrack, every song, all of it. It was was like great songs, but also super 80s. You know, like. and the way they were used for these iconic moments, which are some of my notes, um, because like no song was wasted. No, <laughs> no it no was like no song left behind. No song left behind. It was like we pulled this for a reason, even if it's a questionable reason, which is some of my notes. Um, <laughs> we pulled it for a reason. 
but yeah, I've seen this movie at least 45 times in my oh so short life. And I still watch it like it's the first time every time. Like we watched it last night, me and Amanda, and I was like, <gasps> and I know what's happening. I know most of the dialogue still. I just watched it like a month ago in Clubhouse with friends. <laughs> but I'm like, <gasps> yeah, no, I, I feel like another really positive thing for this film was that the humor really worked in this movie and it helped it a lot. It never took itself too seriously. So you know that you're in on the joke with them. And I have a couple of specific notes later on, I think, but like the mom and the boyfriend who, spoiler alert, <laughs> is like the king of the vampires. King of the vampires. <laughs> but yeah, I thought, I thought that the script and the humor and the wit was just really smart and helped the film a lot. I love a movie that, I love any script or any book or anything like that. Like, I don't know why I'm trying to like isolate it, but I love it where they are, allow people to just be real people, which is where that humor comes from. It's in those moments where you're getting the sibling rivalry and you're getting the relationship to the parent and you're getting like the father, the grandfather, who's a character and it's real and it's true and it's authentic because I hate a movie that's like, here's a joke, you should laugh, I won't laugh. But if it's born out of an actual earnest moment and people just living truthfully in that moment, then it's funny because that's, it's something we would all say or do. And so we get it as opposed to being like, ba, 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 um, which right. I hate. Don't do that to me. Yeah, I also <laughs> think that the, the pacing of this film was really nice. It never it never drags. There's never a moment that I was like, why is this here? Oh, it's this scene. Oh, I've got to watch this again. No, it, it, it picks you up. You're going up the mountain, up the mountain, up the mountain. You hit that climax and you come down and it's a fun ride. Like it's, it's an iconic movie. It just is. It's one of the best vampire movies I have ever seen. Easily my favorite vampire movie most most days. Like until recently when I discovered A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, I, I didn't even see a rivalry for it. However, the only thing that keeps it from being the perfect movie that it could be is that it's an entirely all-white cast. And that's never a good look for directors, producers, casting, anybody. Had anyone been BIPOC in this movie, it would get a full on 10 out of 10 out of me. But because again, it's an entirely white movie, there's something wrong and missing. And it's tragic because again, I've seen this at least 45 times and it's my only critique is that it's super white. Yeah, yeah, that is frustrating. So just talking a little bit before we get into our specific notes on the legacy of this film and with like nomination, award nominations and awards that they've won. So the film was uh, nominated for five Saturn Awards and one Best Horror Film, the year it came out, of course. And then it was nominated for three Young Artist Awards and one Best Young Actor in a Horror Motion Picture and Teenage Favorite Horror Drama Motion Picture. Totally see all those. It's a great cast. It really is. It just, it, it is hurt right. by the all whiteness. Um, yeah. Because again, you cannot have a large cast and have it be all white. There are very few circumstances where that is allowed. And right. this is not one of those very few circumstances. You are dealing with a vampire. So we're already in the horror sci-fi world. And you right. can't imagine a sci-fi horror world where anybody might be brown. Yeah. yeah. Anybody might be from a different country. Right. And it did spawn two sequels, which I have not watched. And I have heard things about but That's my hot take, so I'm not even going to comment. Okay. I'm just going to name the titles and we'll move on. So the two sequels are Lost Boys, The Thirst, and Lost Boys, The Tribe. So, but I don't want to get into your hot take, so we'll just move it on along. I hate that. <laughs> I want to, I'm going to immediately delete that from my memory, so I won't even know the names of them anymore. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our specific notes on The Lost Boys. 
The aerial shots are breathtaking to this day. Like flying in over the water or flying into the house you're ready to start some shit. I, I, it was the first movie as a kid that made me feel like I was flying. And it's part of the reason I think I love it so much. It's because we don't normally get cool shots like that, especially in a horror movie at that time. Um, it was all very much like, stay here because we have three dollars to make art. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it was a really clever way to have you see the monster without seeing the monster. Seeing through the monster's eyes. Um, which is what Halloween did through the mask. Um, and then this was like, haha, they're flying. And yeah, and like, because I'm not, uh, you know, when this movie came out, I don't even know if I was born yet, but like, I, I don't know how the movie was, was sold or like advertised, but like uh, up until you meet Kiefer Sutherland and you like go down into the lair, I wouldn't have even know these are vampires until, but, but you get hints like, Oh, they're flying. Oh, maybe it's a bat. Maybe maybe it's some kind of I don't know, flying monster. But then it, yeah. it, unra- it unravels itself, and then you realize it's also much cooler than seeing them put all these boys on strings, which would have cheapened the experience. And we wouldn't be talking about this movie today. We'd be like, remember when they threw Kiefer Sutherland in a harness, and we weren't supposed to notice? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was really effective and really cool. And I just we don't talk about that enough. Also, shout out to the use of darkness in the house because those moments are tense when Michael's coming, well, like the fight with Nanook, because Michael goes to the bathroom to maybe murder mm-hmm. his brother. We don't know. Um, <laughs> and Nanook is like, ah. Um, and then like the way it plays with shadow and light in that house, it makes it, it makes it creepy. Like that's the most tense moment for me. Not when they're in the cave, not when they're fighting, but when he's like, um, where's my dog? Where's my brother? And we can't see shit. That's when I'm like, this is a movie. This is a film. And they sort of yeah. do that again when the fight breaks out at the end and he's like, don't let them see me. How they like find those pockets of shadow and u- utilize them. That's amazing. For sure, for sure. Again, reminding me of Halloween and how Halloween used light and shadow was really nice. I love this house. I want to move to this house. I want to live in this house. It is a perfect, it's got a beach vibe, but it also kind of has a, a wilderness vibe. I'm here for this house. I, I love the house. It's an extension of the grandfather, who is his own character. I, I just, I love everything about this movie, aside from the note up top. Uh, like, it all makes sense, and it all works together, and it lets me know where we are, who we are, and what's happening with everybody at every moment. Like, nothing feels like forest, including that house. That house is very much this kooky old man. Yeah. Who I knows those vampires. I see him living there. Yeah, chasing after the widow down the street with a car that plays a cucaracha. Like, it, <laughs> he's the epitome eccentric old <laughs> grandparent in a horror movie that we've come to yeah. expect. Uh, and speaking of him, I want to dissect one of his lines because the, he said it and I was like, dude, what? So the line is, you're the only woman I ever knew that didn't improve her situation by getting divorced. And I was like, I know lots of women who they get divorced and like, they're out of shit luck. Like... <laughs> Again, though, that line tells us a lot about Diane Weist, who was everybody's mom back then, and her character anyways, because she definitely was like, I figured it'd be easier to just go ahead and leave. And so I get the impression the father has money, but she was like, I just want my boys and a couple of my things, I'll go save my dad, as opposed to being like, I'm raising your kids, and you've done something, clearly. Because, like, I never get the impression this is her fault, this divorce. <laughs> and so no. instead of her being like, you owe me money, also, you take care of your children, she was like, 
I just want to be left alone. And that's very much her energy, this whole movie. And so that set it up for who she was. And she played that so well, but not yeah. in like the I'm weak and useless way, but in that I just don't want to deal with, with the things way. And I, I trust my drama. kids to be kids. Yeah, I want, don't want drama. I just want my kids. Yeah, and I love, I do really love the relationship between the, all, everyone really, but specifically between the three her and her two boys and between the boys as well because I'm so tired of films and this is not just horror this is drama this is anything having the angsty teen who's mad because the parents divorce and they have to move and make friends and it just gets really old because it's I literally feel like it's in every single movie and I really love that this one you felt the support between the mother and her sons and the, the support between the brothers and it was just it was a really refreshing take and so yeah i think the yeah. dad definitely did something because the brother i don't think the son would be as supportive if he did you know what i mean yeah. no they were definitely on mom's side which is why when they start having their friction it's like where did this come from and even when michael's coming in at like eight in the morning or whatever she's like aren't we still friends can we talk like we're friends um, like she's not like the mom who rules with an iron fist. Like she's she's talking like they were people and something's going on. She doesn't know what it is. And she's trying to like learn how to discipline them because apparently that was not her bag. But she also is not gonna be like, let's get into child abuse. I wanna talk to you and you need to listen to me. She Can you let me have something, there. even if it's an old vampire man? <laughs> and, and, and like you said, she's talking to them like they're human beings. And yeah. I think that even in real life, outside of films, we tend to treat teenagers specifically and children in general as if they are alien or as if they aren't fully formed, which I get, you are not, you're still forming yourself and your, you know, your opinions and things as you grow older, but I'm still doing that today. And I don't want someone to speak to me like they speak to teenagers or to children. No. Speak to them like they're, an, like they're a human. They're not an adult, but they are a human being with fully realized ideas and can think for themselves. And that is that is a thing, especially in America, where we tend to we tend to infantilize, especially young boys or people who are assigned male at birth. We we let them get away with murder and we like baby them. And we tell little girls or people who are assigned femme at birth mm -hmm. right. that like they have to do this and th these things are their fault. They have to dress a certain way. And we over sexualize them at such an early age. But then it's like, we can't talk to you like you're a person though. We just treat you right. these ways. But you need to like mind me and do what I say and don't ask questions and don't talk back. Right. You have no HD over your body. Right. Oh yeah, like, yeah, if you don't want to be, we need to teach children today. If you don't want someone to touch you, you can say no. How many parents are still like, go give so-and-so a hug? How many parents today will do that? And I'm like, I don't want your kid to hug me. Your kid doesn't know me and I don't want to hug children. And or so we'll it's fine. Or we'll get mad at their children when great aunt Bertha wants to give you them a hug and they run away. They're like, oh, he's just in a mood or he's just mad. No, they just don't want to be touched right now. And that's okay. Yeah, no. And we, again, we, we tend to let children suffer because we don't want to make a scene in society. And so like you have your creepy uncles who are telling jokes that are not funny. You have your grandfather, your grandmother who's saying things that are super inappropriate. And whatever your child reacts, you're just like, no. Yeah. And, and that's, that does not build a safe net for your child to talk to you about things in case that person is the person you should be looking out for. And that is one reason why I believe we should be teaching sex education 
appropriate sex education from a very early age. And it starts with, if you don't want to be touched, don't be touched. If you like body autonomy, you can teach body autonomy to a kindergartner and they will understand it. Yes. Um, and as they grow older, of course, you get more detailed and puberty and whatever, but like talk to them like they're a human being that can, that can form thoughts on their own. I have seen elementary school children who have a better understanding of consent than grown men. Literally the, may I hug you coming from an elementary school child is my favorite song. And the fact that we have grown as adults out here who don't understand that and don't get that and can't do that, broken. But anywho. <laughs> back to the, back to the lost voice. <laughs> back to this movie. Uh, the relationships work for me again. Um, and they were established so quickly because when you actually break this movie apart, this family doesn't get a lot of time to be a family. They have like one-offs here and two-offs with the grandfather there. But I would say out of this like movie, maybe three minutes were spent with actual family time and family dynamics, but we understand this family. I, I love the siblings. And that's another reason why, oh my God, Corey Hayes' line works on the stairs. And he's like, are you a vampire? Wait till mom finds out. Because <laughs> we've established who each of these characters are and how they function in this family and their own wants and needs outside of this family so quickly without it even recognizing what just happened like <laughs> i agree it also the grandpa again because like he could be easily tossed aside as this kooky character but like he's sharper than he lets on and we know this up top he's always watching even though he's doing weird things like giving people stuffed animals <laughs> and chasing after the widow down the road <laughs> um <laughs> but he's also like always doing shit with sharp wooden objects and is the one who like kills the big bad at the end. It's like this town is vampires. And they're like, uh, grandpa? <laughs> I, when Sam wakes up all the time with new taxidermy, <laughs> I just die laughing every single time. <laughs> stuffed animals that his grandpa has put in there just to fuck with them. And I, I love it because again, I have, there are very few movies who set up the family dynamics and like our main characters needs and wants and in relationships to each other so quickly and effortlessly. Because again, maybe three minutes tops of the whole movie is this is mom, this is my brother, this is my grandfather, here's who we are. And then it's all like vampires and finding people to help you kill the vampires and like maybe dating a vampire. <laughs> we, we get it done so quickly. And it's just like a lesson that I feel like a lot of us writers need to learn because I know I couldn't connect all these dots so swiftly and get it all nailed down like this. Right. I agree. Um, okay. So and I talked to you a little bit about this before we recorded. So, and I'm not sure, I need to go back and look at like pause the video when it gets to this moment, but I am almost positive that there is a poster on Sam's closet door that is Rob Lowe or someone that looks very similar to Rob Lowe. It's Rob. Is it Rob? We, okay. we paused last night, that's Rob. <laughs> and I want that poster in a very sexy position. Um, and I was like, I, it, this gets really close to my hot take, so I don't want to get too far in, down this rabbit hole, but I was like, are you trying to, because I also, yeah. the, the poster on the other side of the bed, I thought was a man as well, but after a while, I thought I convinced myself that it was a woman with short hair. There was also a giant poster of Molly Ringwald, which I never clocked until this viewing, and again, I've watched this movie for decades, at least 45 times, at least 45 times. I'm being generous because I would watch this movie a few times a year as a child because we had it on VHS 
and I wore out a couple of VHSs. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so okay, I'm glad that I wasn't crazy. So I watched this movie with my class at work because I thought they, I thought they would enjoy it, and they did. They loved it. Yeah. Um, and I, so I couldn't like pause it to be like, let me investigate. <laughs> yeah. I, I I kind of do wonder where everybody falls on the sexuality spectrum in this movie because again, when you get into vampires, it gets very very murky with um david and michael because like they this movie on the on the surface this movie is very much like i want to be the alpha male in this group i gotta prove myself and get in here with these other dudes because i found dudes but i want this girl and the girls with the group but also it's kind of a weird love story (laughs) between david and michael who are always with each other in the eye and always sharing food and intimate moments and the way the way he holds Michael when he threatens him or tries to challenge him to do something with the group, I I would like to be either of those boys. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think one of the reasons I really like that Sam has that poster on his closet door because I think that is, and again, I'm probably reading into it too much, but that's what we're here to do, right? The director or the set designer or somebody made that choice to put that poster on a closet door. And so to me, that says that the mother character, which we, I've already forgot her name, is accepting enough- Lucy. Lucy is accepting enough of her, of Sam and his, and his coming out process to allow him to put this poster on his closet door. Where even when I was coming out in like the early 2000s, that was still like, I mean, I had a poster of Justin Timberlake, but he was like fully clothed and like, <laughs> Was not was not in a sex. Oh, I guess he probably wasn't a sex. But like, anyway. Um, <laughs> to to stay with us for a minute, though, I also clocked last night that like Sam is the only like male character really wearing the pastels because some of these vampires are into the glitter. <laughs> but he's the only one in pastels, so he always stands out in his scenes because like the Frog Brothers are like again military black and red, and like his own brother is like hungover in like black clothes and jeans. And so, like, he's in pastel, and Jamie Gert- Jamie Gertz's character, whose name I just forgot, is in all white. And so I felt like that might have also been, like, that costume. She played Star. How did I forget a name like Star? <laughs> I forgot the name Star, y'all. That's where I am at in this panini. <laughs> and, so- <laughs> and so I feel like that was the costume we were trying to give us something that maybe the script was alluding to, uh, especially because it was the 80s, so it was all about the coding and not the same. I'll get to that later. While we're talking about clothes, though, um, the glittery blood came up because, like, after they stabbed that vampire in the cave, they are all covered in blood and glitter, like they went to Bloody Rave. And we could not figure out what happened. And so what I'm telling myself is that the vampire they stabbed was the one in the glittery jacket. And so that's where the glitter came from. Otherwise, they bleed glitter. I think that when you stab a vampire, it's like, so, you know, every kind of uh, vampire show or movie kind of has a different, like in the show that we have to get rid of, they turn to dust. In True Blood, they like disintegrate into pasta. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Not pasta. (laughs) Not pasta. (laughs) So in this one, they become glitter bombs and <laughs> that's in the episode glitter bombs done <laughs> De- mic drop 
Nailed it. We got a name during the recording for the first time ever. <laughs> so yeah, they just become glitter bombs. And I want to become a glitter bomb if I ever get murdered. Because I want that <laughs> if that person's walking down the street, they'll be like, you were covered in glitter. What happened to you, sir? There's a story there. Nobody's covered in glitter just for shits and giggles. Because glitter is with you forever. Like somewhere Corey Feldman is still finding glitter. <laughs> Probably. Probably. What? Uh, <laughs> so how do you say his last name? Haim? Haim? Haim. Haim. Corey Haim's performance is pretty impressive for a child actor in this film, of course. And he was the one that won the uh, the award I talked about earlier. He was um, always flawless, which is part of the reason I had a giant crush on him. It's because he was really, really attractive and he could act. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is an embarrassment of riches. Right. I mean, he, <laughs> yeah, because he was giving the the plethora of... Um, emotion and and motivation and he never felt whereas I feel like Corey Feldman says last name yeah he sometimes comes off as a little surface level with his performances it, that is in part I think to the characters he was given because they always work together but he was always given the role with less depth than Corey mm-hmm. Haim um, uh, which is why I was happy to see that they were still friends even though that could have been a rift with a lot of people because like nobody wants to be like the friend who gets the surface roles and so <laughs> right right but again but, it was the 80s so those roles were also kind of like in yeah but yeah Corey Haynes performance I was I'm, I'm still impressed by I think it's I think it's a solid performance again Corey Haim was one of the many many young actors who were just gifted because we see we see a handful I feel like in every decade not too many, not too few. Um, and those are the ones we're really rooting for. And he's actually one of my notes. Him and Edward Herman, who are no longer with us, both of them are past. But of course, Edward Herman got to have a longer career. But it, like as a child of the 90s, I saw them a lot on my TV and in my films. And so it's just, it's weird to go back to this, knowing that like they are done, especially because Corey Haim left us at such an early age, like such an early age. It's really sad. And that's unfortunately the truth for a lot of the 80s, 90s child actors. I, I can't help but wonder what they would be doing today if they were where they were back then. And of course, I had more time with Edward Herman because Gilmore Girls gave me seven years of him. But like, what would he be doing today? Because he was always this committed older actor um, who was here for the fans and who was here for the project because he was like, if my name's on it, I'm going to believe in it. And so like... <laughs> Uh, I just, I don't know. It was a little bit sad this time around because I hadn't seen it. I don't, I have not seen this movie since Edward Herman died and I've watched it twice this year and I, that wasn't intentional. It was just like life right. and me being busy because again, I love this movie. Right. Um, and so it was the first time watching it with both of them being gone as opposed to just the one and it, it lands different. If that, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's rough. I, it's super rough, but I also kind of feel like we should do Silver Bullet so we can see Corey Haim with a different dog as a sidekick. Maybe so. Yeah. They do a really decent job at hiding the twist of the mother's boyfriend being the, the father of the vampires until it, until it happens. Because I didn't see, I mean, granted, I already knew, because this isn't the first time I've watched this film, but I kept trying to be like, okay, how are they? And they kept giving you like, testing him and then he would always pass the test and then like i so i thought they did, I thought they did a decent job with that it would it was a bit more difficult than i remember i still predicted it but oh, it yeah. was still a little more bit more difficult 
from his introduction, it's like, it's him. <laughs> um, as a kid, I was a ruiner back then, like I am today. So I was like, it's him. And so when he passed on the test, I'm like, what the fuck? Um, but exactly. also they, I was like, they invited him in though. And I was also confused because the other vampires were not invited in, but they were in that house. <laughs> and so that's one of my issues I have with the movie as a child. I'm like, how are they all getting in? Because Star was like levitating, like Dua Lipa, and was in his window. Dua Lipa. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, what y'all, how y'all been getting in and out of this house? Um, and then when the fight breaks out at the end, and everybody's in the house, and I'm like, all y'all was not invited. <laughs> and so I was like, they've only invited one person in. It's got to be him. Maybe, yeah, and maybe if he's like the father of the vampires, maybe if he's invited in any of his descendants, I don't know. Let's just be trying to make sense of it. That's what I told myself because I was like, it's clearly him and it has to be him and this needs to be the proof. Because as a kid, I was like, it's him. I know what we just saw, but it's him. And then he explains it and like, thank you. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, never met a vampire in, dear boy. And I love that line and I love that moment where he's fighting her and her sons because again, you have Michael again trying to establish himself as the man <laughs> of the house because even when Max asked to get in, he's like, you're the man of the house, you have to invite me in. Which again, as a child, I called bullshit because Michael don't own this house, the grandfather does. But you know what? Back to my original point. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're the man of the house, you have to invite me in. And so again, this movie on the surface, it's Michael learning how to be the man of the family, the man of the house, and wanting to be the alpha male in this group so he can get the girl, but also him and David having this weird relationship that is the real movie in this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, this is one of the, the funny moments that I that I loved. So it is and it's quintessential 80s comedy. So when Lucy says at the, at the dinner table, someone's breath smells. <laughs> and the boys look at Max, but then, but then the nook is just at the table, making, just like sitting at, like almost like he's sitting at, on a chair at the table, like, hey, ready for dinner. <laughs> I, I laughed so hard. I love it. There's so many moments like that, which I love because it breaks the tension. And like, yes. that, is, that is part of a good horror movie is to know when to break the tension and when to increase it. Otherwise, people are just like, oh my God, I can't breathe. <laughs> right. um, and they don't get the scares as much because they never had a break, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I, <laughs> one of the things that, one of the most uncomfortable things of this movie, because I watched it with subtitles this time, which I've never done before. So I could see the lyrics to the music. And so, like, Michael goes to get answers, ends up having a sex scene with Star, because that's how you get answers. And I don't blame Star. I don't blame either of them. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I, the 80s were wild and I would have been as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so I seen the lyrics because we all know this song. No fear. Uh, oh my God. The choir is all like, you'll never fall. You'll never fear. Um, and yet there's this man who's breaking up the choir while they're having sex, talking about his sister and how she's come to her brother. And I'm like, I get it, but this is uncomfortable. Cause like they're in a vampire family now, but ooh, don't ruin this for me, good sir. And then the kids kick back on, and it's like, ah, <laughs> And I'm like, could we pick a different music choice for this one moment? Cause I, I wanted this moment and now I can see the lyrics, I don't want it ever again. It was, <laughs> it was the most unsettling thing in the movie. And I had just watched them all eat a bunch of maggots and worms before washing it down with blood. Like, 
that level of Oogie will never be topped in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. The third act of this film is nonstop. It is pedal to the metal. We're going in and we'll see it the other we'll see on the other side. We'll see what happens. And it kind of reminded me a lot of the third act of I know uh, a nightmare on Elm Street, where you know you see her, you see Nancy prepping and getting ready, and then she goes into the dream, and then it's just like bam, 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 done. That's what it, it feel. It felt like that for me in this film. I love that, and I also love the fact that back then we had one ending. We didn't do multiple endings to lessen it and cheapen it. He was like, "We killed him, and I'm still a vampire." Uh, and then Matt shows up. And we're like, oh, and they're like, let's end this movie. <laughs> they're not yeah. like, let's let Max have a monologue and then escape, and then we'll check him down. <laughs> it's like, no, let's let dead. <laughs> <laughs> I love that track. I, I love hate that track. I just, I know, I know it's bad. I know it's tacky, but it's also <laughs> very much this character, and so I don't know how to feel other than to laugh and <laughs> drink my drink. <laughs> and it backfires after every one of them. <laughs> so 80s, so 80s, much 80s. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, again, I just have to get into the fact that like Michael and David and this couple situation. And I, I want more of these lost boys dynamics because like they are all hot missing boys living underground. <laughs> and Michael's like, I want in on this. <laughs> and I'm like, I, mean, I would do. You you already kind of have a queer eye aspect of it because like there's five guys. Yeah, there is. And five one guys, dog. burgers and fries. <laughs> and one and one lady friend. Yeah. Like, I mean No wonder Stardom will leave. What? <laughs> I too would be confused because she she was very complicit. She was like, don't drink it, Michael. It's blood. And then she watched. <laughs> and I was like, I see you. I see you, hot girl eternity in the corner. I see what you're doing here. I really did not see the twist with her character, though. When it turns out that she's got a son, was a son, brother. I for, it, it's murky. He's on the milk carton and she is very much protective of him. But I don't think I actually know if they were abducted together or if like they found this little boy to keep her there or what. I, I don't think I know. I don't think I know. Yeah, that was, but I was like, oh, okay. That puts some real depth to her character for sure. Cause she was like, leave him alone, this little boy while he's like vampiring out in the room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, he's not a little boy now. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, for sure. Yeah. I, my last note, because like Diane Weiss, Wes, we never get her name right, but she is still the best 80s, 90s mom we ever had in this total mom goals. And the, I'm going to learn how to say her name this year because I'm sure we'll see her again as we keep oh, doing the 80s. Oh, and like, yeah, no, it's like like we mentioned earlier, just the way that, this is the writing as well, not just her performance, but like the way that she parents should be, and like this was made in the 80s, so where y'all at? But like the way that she parents, she doesn't try to psychoanalyze her kids, she just listens to them. Mm-hmm. And she responds to them. And like, yeah, I get, you know, you don't want to you want to walk that line of being a parent and being a friend, you know, pretty specifically. But like, that doesn't mean you have to demean your child or like 
make them feel like they're wrong if they disagree with you or what, whatever the whatever the case may be. I just her style of parenting. Yes, you're right, mom. Though parent goals in general, she nailed the mom. She she is the epitome of what we all thought moms could and should be. <laughs> um, she's polite. She's present. She's on it. Like when things start going sideways with Michael, she's like, "Hey, can we talk?" Um, she's not like, "I'm gonna pretend I don't see a problem here," but she's also not like, "Tell me everything." Um, we have, we have Sam who may or may not, I, I mean, I think that they were definitely coding him as queer though. <laughs> and she's not in his business. Like you find a nice girl today. Um, um, I just, I, I'm here for her in everything that she gives these roles because a lot of these moms, especially in the eighties and nineties become wallpaper, but there's something about her. There is a kindness and a spirit that is engaged that makes them stand out and makes you remember them because there's a lot of movies where I'm like, I don't remember who played the mom in that. Or, oh, their mom was there. But like when it's Diane, we're like, Diane was the mom. And let me tell you about this mom. And you either remember them for being a great parent like she is or being uh, like Nancy's mom. (laughs) We don't remember Nancy's mom. (laughs) I don't have seen about that. I call her vodka lady. Um, <laughs> and again, it goes, it, there's just something inherent about a Diane Weiss mom, because like, first off, I've never seen her play a shitty mom. <laughs> and I, I don't know enough about her. I'm going to like actually Google her to be like, do you have children? Or are you just really good at pretending to like children? Like either way, I, I whatever your <laughs> process is, it's working. Perfect. All right. Shall we get into some hot takes? Yes. As we've discussed, as this while this film does toy with queerness, as most vampire TV series films and TV series do, I wish they could have gone further. I think it would have added something else, something to the film that would have just made it even more iconic. I get it, it's the 80s and they did what they could, but the fact that I'm still, even in 2021, I'm still getting queer coded shit and not just fucking be queer. Just let them be what they are, what they're, what they're trying to write. Don't give me crumbs, you know, or don't make me think, you know, Sam has a poster of, uh, on his, on his closet door, you know, like, I'm just so tired of that. And it wouldn't bother me as much if it wasn't still happening. Hard agree. Hard agree. Especially because this was a very homoerotic movie. It it just, it is. Again, David and Michael fighting to be on top the whole movie is very sexual and it's very tense. You and it's probably it's probably the reason I was really watching as a child. I'm like, this is a great movie, but also what do they do? Like <laughs> 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 even the way he's looking at Michael when they're hanging from like the train and they're like shaking and he's looking at him. I'm like, this is oh, oh my stars and goddess. Oh, <laughs> oh. And the way he holds him, like he literally grabs him by the face and he's like, what of us now? I'm like, I would have, I would have been one of you a long time ago, but I'd be dead right now. Good sir. <laughs> yes, agreed. No, like this is, this is the lit I would like to have read as a child. Um, <laughs> my actual hot take though is I haven't seen the sequels because this film is nearly perfect. Like aside from my one note about the representation and your note, this is the perfect movie. And so I I don't need the sequels because I feel like they would just ruin what has already been established here and would feel like a weird money grab. 
And I want to remember this as the un, almost unblemished perfect movie that it is instead of watching those and having it like ruin my memories. Yeah. I also, you know, if, if I would be down for the sequels, if we saw Sam and his coming out story and like that whole thing, like, okay, if we're really going to do a sequel, then give me what I'm missing from this film. But I doubt they did that. You know, they didn't do that. No, no. I feel like it, it was just like d- dirty, dusty vampires. Um, <laughs> part two and three. And that's not, this movie, it has so much work before. There's a lot of heart. Um, there's a lot of like family and relationships. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of queer coding as well. Um, and so I just, I don't foresee them handling that the same way for two more random movies that were probably direct video. I haven't looked into them because I don't want to know. Like literally, I don't, I'm gonna, I'm like a flamingo. I just want to put my head in the sand and be like, I said what I said, don't give me anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not looking to rent either of those films. Um, but anyways, well, that's our thoughts on The Lost Boys. So thank you all for listening. Hope your summer is going well. We're going to see you next week with some stuffs and some surprises. Because we start doing special things before season three starts. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. Keep your eyes out. We're going to keep you guessing. Who knows what we're going to do. So as always, stay fierce out there. Bye.